Hello, hello, and welcome to the last of today's episodes of Saddest Nights Out. My name is Roy, and I am the host of this podcast. Now, this is normally the part where I say it's all about music and creative culture in London. And for the most part, that is the case. But truth be told, there are no rules to what can be on this podcast. It's just a chance for me to share what I experience and what I learn on a typically day-to-day basis. And that is very much the case with this episode. So, if you've listened to the previous episodes from today, you'll know they're somewhat chronological. So at this point, I'm at Pride Festival. I have performed with Kiana Key. I've had a quick talk with Jan Shahid, who's one of the people that was helping to keep operations running smoothly at the festival. And whilst I was at this stage, I did check out some of the performers and some of the speeches that were said during the day. And there was one in particular that caught my, that really caught my attention because one of the people on the stage was Ugandan. And I'm from Uganda. And Uganda does not have a good track record when it comes to its treatment of the LGBT plus community. And I was particularly interested to see this point brought up on this stage. That point was brought up by Peter Tatchell, who is the head of the Peter Tatchell Foundation, which works to support the LGBT plus community and their rights worldwide and here in the UK. Now, I was in the crowd when Peter Tatchell was giving his speech and he motioned to the two people that were beside him. One of them was Espoir from Cameroon and one of them was Solomon from Uganda. And I literally made eye contact with Solomon when Peter said that and I tried to yell over the crowd which is a Luganda greeting for which is a greeting in Luganda that's said commonly in Uganda but he recognised me from the stage I could tell we kind of saw each other throughout the speech and then once they came off the stage I went back to the backstage area said hello to them and I asked if I could talk to them for this podcast now I didn't have a plan for what we would talk about I didn't foresee this happening before today or anything. So I am very much learning right alongside you, listener, when I hear these stories. I just All I know when it comes to this podcast is that it's an opportunity for me to share whatever I encounter with, whatever audience happens to find this. And there are so many stories. I am just in London. There's a much greater scope to be covered, but there's so many stories just in this city. And I just figure this is my small opportunity to share what I can while I'm here. So in this episode, first you'll hear a little bit of the speech that Peter Tatchell delivered from the stage. And then you'll hear me talk to Peter, Solomon and Espoir. Like I said, it was very impromptu. We pretty much set up camping. There were two dressing rooms backstage, or dressing room tents. We set up camp in one of them and then we were asked to move to the other one because other performers needed to use the dressing room. So there is a slight interruption during the episode, but for the most part, it is Solomon and Espoir telling me about their backgrounds, how they came to be in the UK, what life is like for them now, and what it is they are hoping to achieve by sharing their stories. I say it in the episode, I'll say it afterwards, and I'll say it now, and I'm immensely grateful to Espoir and to Solomon and to Peter for taking the time to talk to me, for speaking at this event and for sharing their stories with me and with whichever listeners come across this episode. 
they are particularly bleak and harrowing stories. So do take caution. Listener caution is advised. But now I will hand this episode over to Peter, Espoir and Solomon. In both their countries, they face criminalisation, police harassment, arrest, imprisonment. So it's really important that we remember that although we have made huge gains in this country, in 71 countries around the world today, still LGBT plus people are criminalised. And of those 71 countries, 45 criminalise both male and female homosexuality. So, my message today is, we've come a long way here in Britain. The battle isn't quite finished. We must support LGBT plus refugees who come here for a safe haven. Many of them are put in asylum detention centres, which are like prisons. Some are deported. That is so, so wrong. And the person to blame is Theresa May. When she was Home Secretary, she put in place the current asylum system, which treats LGBT plus refugees so badly. So I want you to give a big shout to Theresa May. Time to reform. Time to reform. Time to reform. Time to reform. Thank you so much. I just want to say that someday LGBT people everywhere will be free. Someday we'll all be free. Someday homophobia, biphobia and transphobia will be history. And it's thanks to people like you who take a stand that we will ensure that although LGBT plus freedom has been long delayed, it cannot and will not be denied. Happy Pride! Okay, we're recording now. We are in the dressing room behind the, sta- the women's stage of London Pride Festival. I just heard a piece of the speech. I didn't really know who else would be on this stage today, but I heard a speech about LGBT plus rights around the world, and I heard one of the people on that stage is from Uganda. I am from Uganda, so my interest has really peaked. So I'm now back here in the dressing room with the, with the three people who were on stage. And those people are, what's your name, sir? Solomon. And you are? Espoir, Hope. And you are? Peter. Okay, so Peter, you took the main charge of the speech on stage. What is your cause? What brought you to this day today? Well, I'm the director of the Peter Tatchell Foundation, which is a small human rights organization based in London. We do about 50% of our work is on LGBT plus rights and 50% are the democracy and human rights issues. Um, half is based in Britain and half is supporting campaigners in other countries like Russia, Uganda, Jamaica, Iran. Um, we believe that human rights are universal and we think that LGBT plus rights are part of the human rights spectrum. And that it's very important that 
all victims of human rights abuses support each other and stand in solidarity. I heartily agree. So how did you come to meet Solomon and Espera? Well, my foundation runs an advice and help service and both Solomon and Espera are refugees. So they came to us for help and support in seeking to gain asylum here in the UK after having fled Espoir, she fled Cameroon, uh, Solomon fled Uganda. They were both had, have terrible stories and they really deserve asylum. But as you know, the whole asylum system set up by Theresa May is rigged against refugees. So we try and provide support so that they can overcome all the obstacles and win asylum. Okay, so now let's talk to the two people. Espera, we can start with you. How did you come to be in the UK? It's a very long, long story, but we try to cut it short. Uh, it can be dated back home and from Cameroon, as Peter rightly said. And it's one of those countries where, when it's discovered that you are a, a, a gay person, it's like you're an outcast. You are outlawed, not only you, but your family, to the extent that even your family has abandoned you. I, for one here, I don't know how my family looks like now as I'm talking. It's a sad story. So when they discovered that I was a lesbian, that's when I was 18 years. I was caught with my partner. I had to kiss her, but I didn't know there was someone around me seeing me. Unfortunately, he raised his voice, and that's how the crowd came after us. My partner and I, we ran, but unfortunately, my breath couldn't take me enough. So I was arrested by the, sorry, I was first of all caught by the crowd. Were beat, I was beaten, jailed at, and I was taken to the police station where I spent four nights and I was raped by the police officers on duty. You would not believe that my own father abandoned me there, that that would teach me a lesson. After that, it didn't end there. They said, okay, since you want to bring disgrace to the family, you have to get married. So, so in that case, they believe they were to stop me from being who I am. So, all I received was rape, domestic violence, torture, and you can name them. While in the marriage, it couldn't go because that's not my nature. So I had to look for my way to flee. And before I fled, I had my partner Grace, where she died in the police custody because we were found in a hotel. So I had to flee because my ID card was left in that hotel. How did I flee? Because I went to get water downstairs. On coming back, I met her husband and two police officers. So, they were going towards the room where we were. Unfortunately, I had to call my partner, but they were already on her. I could only hear her screaming, help, help. It's a pity I couldn't help her. I had to flee for my life. So when I went, I left Cameroon, I first flee to Malaysia because that was the easiest visa I could have. So while there, I struggle now to come back here. Because Malaysia, as you know, is another country that doesn't open their doors to LGBT people as well. So that's how I came to the UK. And now in the UK, as you know, though it's claimed that there's human rights, but we still doubt because we still have homophobia around us. The society still rejects us. And again, the laws put in place is not in our favor. We are bound to do funny things, maybe get pornographic pictures, do certain things just to prove our sexuality. But they believe to know, they forget to know that sexuality is like a fluid in you. That's who you are. And not, you are not like making up something. So life is not really, really easy. 
But thanks to Peter Tachi and his foundation, who are trying to support us, thanks to African Rainbow as well, thanks to MIOS and all other organizations that are really there for LGBT uh, refugees because they know what it takes to be a refugee. Even as we are talking, our own black brothers as well, once they discover that you are an LGBT plus person, my brother, the story changed. So we are really, really on our knees pleading that if our brothers who know what it takes to be an LGBT can stand by us, then I believe we'll get to the journey. And the Home Office makes it really, really frustrating because I, for one, my case is still pending. They say I should prove my sexuality. I don't know how it can be proved because it's in me. That's me. That's my nature. And I'm proud to be who I am. Yeah. And again, concerning this prayer, I'm so happy to come out because in, back in my country, you cannot. If you're only being suspected, you are finished. But here, yeah, I have the opportunity to walk around, to shout, to dress the way I am. But again, the joy is not complete because would have loved those of our sisters and brothers who are still in those countries to have the freedom that we have. So today we stand also in solidarity with them, hoping that one day they will be free and together we can join and celebrate. Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing that story. Well, Solomon, how did you come to be in the UK? Well, like, it's, it's really depressing to reflect and you know, talk about the past, but it's going to take me lots of courage today to flash back and you know, give a highlight of my experiences and growing up. Well, I was raised in a family of eight kids and I'm the last one, five girls and three boys. And socially, for me, Ugandans are very reserved people. We grow up in a, in a society that you don't actually speak about yourself so much openly. So for me, I grew up in that kind of setting. I wasn't able to speak out, to live openly. Um, I remember being in school and admiring a boy, Isaac. And Isaac Buterezi um, was really cute and handsome for me. And I couldn't, I mean, I couldn't help like anyone else. That's how I felt. And just trying to bring out who you are is like a crime, it's like an abomination and I remember speaking to Isaac and confiding in him thinking that he will understand how I feel Okay, I just had to pause there we had to move to a different room, this is a bit of an impromptu situation we have, so apologies for the interruptions, but Solomon you were telling us about your friend Isaac and you were telling him how you felt So well but mind you, this is happening in a very secretive manner. You, I mean, like I said before, this is something you couldn't just speak out in public. Like I said, it's, the social setting is different. So I tell Isaac how I feel about him. I little did I know Isaac is going to tell everyone, tell the authorities, tell the head teachers what just happened. And from there, things have never been nice anymore. I mean, I was, I was tortured, I was beaten terribly, I was disowned by my parents. It's been a couple, it's been a couple of years, 
haven't, I haven't been with my family, I haven't been with my parents anymore. I mean, I've been up and down, hiding, living a life of trying to push things and manage life. You can imagine in a country that is very homophobic, there's, at the moment you speak about homosexuality, that's the end of you. You risk being killed. So you can imagine how I used to manage to live a life to be able to get something to, you know, leave it was really ter terrible. So, well, I had a friend who lived in Machin in Pelere, and this friend happened to keep me for a while, and I lived with with him for a while, and uh, I managed to get something to do, to get some money to be able to leave, and I was doing photography with him, but obviously. I wouldn't just go out openly, I would try and cover myself as much as possible to be safe in a country that is again very homophobic. I'm sticking on this because it's been it's very well known, Mr. Museveni is pushing this, everyone is pushing all these things and coming from the people as well, from the culture setting as well, it is, it is terrific, it is horrible. So this is the life I lived for a very long time. So I happened to land a chance to come for a show in England to do photography with a friend and I didn't know about asylum, I did not know about anything, refugees, no, and I had, I had relatives in, in England before and one of them told me, that's my brother, my brother, he told me about asylum and I couldn't reflect living a life of hiding anymore, risking, you know, walking on the streets to be killed. I couldn't, arrested for just my sexuality. So I went forward for seeking asylum. But so far, I've lived here for three years now, gone through the process, but it's like another mountain that I have to overcome in my life. So for me, I, I mean, there's this thing that keeps me going. I always see the cup half full. I don't see, I don't see it empty. I see it half full. Despite of the challenges I'm going through with the Home Office, fighting for my protection and safety in this country, I am still thankful because I can now live openly. I can now be on the stage and speak proudly about my sexuality, about sexuality of different other people I've fallen and made friends with. So for me. It's, it's not easy, but I see the light at the end of the tunnel. That's my story. Thank you both so much for sharing with me. I think it's very easy for us to get caught up with the situation here and neglect that things are very different around the world. And it takes an immense amount of courage, not only to survive what you've been through, but to then stand up and say, hey, this is going on back here and it's not okay. We need help. We need support. So if I could yeah, I would like to add something on what you just say. Um, I've been mentioning the social setting of mostly African countries, or specifically Uganda, compared to the Western world. I mean, for me, according to my observation, people are very open in this country. People are very straightforward in doing things. And we often forget that the African setting, people are very reserved. So, 
when you come here, when a person comes from wherever they come from to this country, somebody expects them to, in a blink of an eye, to be open and live the way others live. That's not the case. It takes time for someone to, I mean, come out and, you know, be confident and be able to speak up. It's taken me a while to come out and speak up for my own issues, regardless of everything I've gone through. I think the government and the people should have a look through at this and, I mean, revise these things and be critical on how they treat people that come, that are new in this country. Yeah. To what he has said, it all boils down to cultural differences. Because, like here, we see children and their parents or friends speaking openly. In Africa, that's not the case. When your father says stop, you have to stop. You can't say anything. So, like when we come here, like seriously, just imagine yourself coming to a strange country at the airport. You don't know who is who. And having in mind what you have gone through, just telling somebody suspecting you to be a gay, you are outlawed. How are we supposed to just tell the immigration officer, I am a gay person? You know? So, when we try to get into the country before, like, going to, I mean, present ourselves, they said, the fact that we didn't open up at the airport, it means our story is not credible. Come to think of it, so, if these cultural differences can really, really be handled, it will do us a good deal of, of good, because it's so difficult. It's really, really so difficult. Like uh, Solomon rightly said, it took me a lot of time. I had never told my story without shedding tears. But thank God for the environment around me and the friends I have who stood by me. It's like a story. It's like a happy story to me, despite the fact that I'm like an orphan. But I'm not an orphan. I'm from a very big family. But because they suspected me to be gay, and come to think of it, the other pride that I went to, you know, the photos on Google, it was seen back in my country. I received a lot of emails. So really, is it true of what we were hearing? It's gone to the extent that the whole world knows that you are a lesbian. We are happy about that, but know that you are not part of our family. They keep on reminding you, my brother, how can you live with such a stress in your head? And again, what really annoys us, you just come here a month or two, you haven't even known where you live. Home office asks you, have you got a partner? I mean, are we gay people dogs? Are we gay people animals? Are you having a partner for the sake of partner or for the sake of papers? If they should also think that gay people with got feelings, want to have somebody that we love, you can share your problems with that person and the person listen. Not getting us hurried to have a partner just because of it. I had to fall in that trap because when I just came, my interview, they asked me, have you got a partner? I said no. They said, so you can go back. What had I to do? I had to, I mean, try to see. I saw a lady. Actually, it wasn't easy because the trauma my partner went through. I keep on thinking, maybe if that lady was not with me, she wouldn't have died. It's not easy. Each time I see a lady in front of me, I, I see Grace, and it's like I've killed somebody. But then I still had to arrange with her. But the day of my hearing, she said she can't come. So her office said, if she really is your partner, she would have come. So I told them, she said she can't come because she is scared. She hasn't got her status. But I, I was termed a liar. How am I to prove my sexuality? That's a big question. The so-called straight people are heterosexual. How do we know they are also heterosexual? Can they also prove? We, what we want is that humanity, the dignity. We should be treated like people that we really are. 
we should be given that respect, not be treated like dogs, just partner for the sake of it. So that is really, really one of our biggest problems that we have to combat with the home office. If you have a partner, really, you love yourself, it's fine. But you shouldn't have it because you are being forced to. In that case, we are not treated like human beings. Our feelings are thing has also a say in the whole story. That's very true. And again, it's something that I think is easy to overlook until someone that's been through it can tell you their experience. And then you can realize there's steps we haven't paid attention to. We might think we've, we've crossed a milestone, but there's still a lot of work to do. If I may, we've, you've both shared some very harrowing backgrounds. You've been through a lot back home. You've still been through a lot coming here. It's enough to just survive that and to persevere. But where did you find the strength to not just try to get by, but to stand up and say, hey, this is me, this is what I'm going through, and to share your voice with others in hope of helping them? Where did you find the strength? What gives you the courage to, because back home you both said, just the slightest inkling that you are LGBT+, and the crowds will come for you. Where, and I can imagine back then, you, like you said, you're reserved. You try that much harder to keep underground so no one suspects anything. But now you're here, you're speaking at London Pride Festival. Where did you find that strength to turn around and say, no, things are still tough, there's still a lot I'm going through, but I need to share my story, I need to tell people what is happening. Solomon, if I can ask you first. Well, thank you. This is a very nice question to really ponder and think about. Um, well, for me, personally, because um, my life has been involved and I've met lots of people. I've had different stories, very touching. I mean, we're human and this is one aspect that we should always look up to. I mean, we should always feel pity for everyone. And for me, that's my foundation of things. And having people like Peter Tashu, having I met lots of people that really stand to fight for one another. I wouldn't think being selfish is something that would push me forward. I would think thinking about someone else and fighting for someone else is a very nice way to go forward. And I believe in teamwork. If we work together, our voices can be heard. But if we stand back and say, oh, look back and say, oh, this is how I used to live. I'm just going to maintain the way I used to live. I'm not going to go forward, no. We have to move forward by working together and coming out. It is number one thing and it's a number one strategy that we can use for our voices to be heard. And to be able to live our lives, I regret myself having spent all of my uh, youth and childhood almost trying to hide who I am and trying to be someone else. I'm proud to come out now and live my life without hiding because I know I'm in a country, well, there's some homophobia, but I know there's laws and rights that can fight for me still, isn't it? That's it. Thank you so much. And Espera, how about you? Yeah, for me, oh, I think it started at LGBT uh, Center in Birmingham. Yeah, I remember the first day I went there, I couldn't talk without shedding tears. But thank God the management by name Jack, he had to undergo a three-month counseling. Yeah, like trying to put me through 
I have to come out. You have to tell people your story because he was so shocked to hear that I've gone through what I did. So from there now, I got, I got the courage. And also, uh, African Rainbow Family, which was founded by one Nigerian, Adoroke Apate, she has also been instrumental in my life because from her stories, I now gather courage that at least if she has gone through this and succeeded, I think I can also go. She's like an, uh, a model to me. And thank God through her, I had to meet Peter Tatcher, who has, she, he has been, he has done it all. I love what to, to describe Peter Tatcher. He's just been, he's like a father. He's a friend, he's everything. I call him at any time and he's ready to answer at my call and give me the courage. And through that also, I've also told myself, you know, we ladies, few of us have that courage to speak out. And some are still trying to overcome it. So presently in Birmingham, I've come out with, I've tried to create ladies group, which is called Kairos Birmingham. So I'm encouraging the ladies that you guys can stay quiet. Nobody knows who you are and what you've gone through. And until we speak out, I can't do it all alone. It's like when your hand is up, you need people to support it because the hand will get tired. So when it's coming down and there's support, we will stay up and our story will also be heard. And there's also one group in uh, Wolverhampton that I also created. It's called Emmaus. It's run by uh, a gay pastor, David Babiton, who is in Warsaw. He's also, also be instrumental. Because one problem we face is, I'm from a Christian background. Home office said, but how can you be a Christian and you are a gay? Come to think of it, Christianity and sexuality has got nothing to do. I'm a spiritual somebody, I believe in myself, and I believe in God who created me. God created me and made me a, a lesbian, and he was proud, and he said, all what he has done is good. And if we go to uh, Jeremiah chapter 22, what he said there, I have a plan for, for you. All of us, he didn't say he's got good plans for heterosexual people. So, in most of our sessions, the meeting in Wolverhampton, he tries to make us feel that though Home Office says we're not supposed to be Christian, we are also Christian and God loves us. We don't have two gods, we have one God who created all of us and made you who you are. Before you were conceived in your mother's womb, he knew you and he made you to be whom you are. And we gay people, the same God created us. So, from all what the lectures and what he's saying, I think I'm now really, really strong to speak out. And thanks to Peter Thatcher again, I've been to BBC, where I told them my story. Uh, Victoria Dabisha, the show, she was like, wow, Espa, you don't mean it. Is it all what you've gone through? We never knew. So Peter said, if you don't speak out, people won't know. I had to go to the radio as well. So I'm really, really happy with all the organizations that are out to help, especially LGBT uh, refugees, because the homophobia that we have is a special one. And come to think of it, we, the females. So I will never, I think I owe them. I don't know how much I'll pay, but by God's grace, I think I will have an opportunity to say thank you to all of them. I'm really, really so proud of them. From the bottom of my heart, thank you both so, so much for sharing your story with me and the listeners today. I know it's been tough to recall, but as you both said, you are right. If you don't share what you've been through, people can't know and progress can't be made. And Peter, thank you so much for bringing this all together. If I may ask you, how can people support this cause? Well, you can go to my foundation's website, which is www.petertatchellfoundation.org. On the homepage, you'll see information about all the different campaigns and the work we do. 
and the top right hand corner there's a join us button you can click on that give us your email address it's free and we'll send you bulletins about the work we do so you'll be up to speed about the different campaigns we fight on and if you're feeling generous there's also a donate button and you can make a small donation maybe maybe one or two pounds a month something uh, every bit helps because we don't get any institutional funding we're a bit radical and on the edge and so it's it's tough to we, we, need, we, we need more staff basically to help people like um, Espera and Solomon uh, we've got so many people coming to us from all over the world who are desperate who's got similar very tragic stories but we're there for them but it's it's really tough so with more funding we can help more people once again thank you all so much for coming today thank you for sharing your stories and let's continue this work towards progress together can I just leave you with my motto which I hope will inspire people to action uh, don't accept the world as it is dream of what the world could be and then help make it happen okay uh, one more thing if I should uh, borrow Peter's quote he said pride it's still very important because why do I say so home office says everybody can come to the pride but I don't think it's true if you are not really a gay person if it's not in you believe me you can't come out as we are doing so pride is still very very important well I wouldn't say just come out come out yeah thank you all very much enjoy the rest of your day thank you thank you Thank you once again to Solomon, Espoir, and Peter for talking to me. That was the Peter Tatchell Foundation that they were talking about. And I'll put a link to how you can take part in what they are trying to do in the show notes for this episode. Peter Tatchell Foundation, T-A-T-C-H-E-L-L. So I think it's safe to say Saturday was a very eventful day for me. I did not know what I was going into at all with any of the episodes I've recorded or any of the people I've spoken to, but I'm incredibly grateful to all of them that spoke to me. And when I talk to people, sometimes I can see in their eyes as they talk to me that the purpose behind what they're doing is crystallizing that much more as they tell me about it. And I find with each episode I do that the purpose behind what I'm doing is similarly crystallizing as I do it. This podcast is just me with my iPhone 5 going to whatever events I go to, coming across interesting people and asking for them to share their stories with me while I press record. It is something of a kind... It's a very useful medium to do this because all I have to do is press record. As you could hear when I was speaking to Solomon and Espoir, it was particularly loud in the background but I was still able to record what it was they were saying. The medium by which I record these interviews, it's very lo-fi, but it removes whatever barrier there can be when you know you're being recorded, and it can feel more like a heart-to-heart conversation is being had. And I think with some of the people I talk to and some of the causes or situations that are touched on, it's easy for some people to only be aware of it through certain headlines or just things they don't really pay much attention to. They only get a slight glimpse of what's going on. But my hope is that in talking to certain people, and talking to everyone that I talk to, I can help to put a face, a person, behind the issue that is being raised. Whether it is LGBT plus rights around the world, whether it is a a cancelled show that was never actually happening at a venue, 
whatever it may be, if you can hear the person behind it, maybe that can try to diffuse how quickly people can rise to anger or to being dismissive. And people can actually listen to what's going on. So when it comes to the stroke show, I hope there isn't too much hate or ill will leverage towards the people at Dingwalls or to Pasquale. Because they are people. Mistakes get made. Unforeseen, unfortunate circumstances happen. But at the heart of it, there are people who are just trying to do their best. When I was at the Pride Festival as a performer, you are surrounded by so many people with clipboards or earpieces running around and it can be easy to dismiss them as just part of the help and all you care about is the fact that you need to perform. But again, I just wanted to put a human face, a human person behind all of the effort that goes into making these events happen. And with speaking to Peter and Solomon and Espoir, yes, we can raise awareness about what's going on here in the UK. Yes, we can be aware that things aren't great in other countries around the world. But to hear someone telling you personally what they've been through, that can really help you to understand the weight and the gravity behind those situations. And it can maybe, who knows, it just might be what's needed to help someone rise to action instead of just being dismissive of the situation. So thank you to everyone that took the time to talk to me over the case of this one day. It has been an unforgettable day. And now, thanks to the fact that I'm recording this podcast, it truly will be unforgettable because this episode will be here for everyone to listen to whenever, wherever. You can find this episode, if you just search for Saddest Night Out, all one word, you'll find it in, I think, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, iTunes, and various other places where you can listen to this and all the other episodes I've done. You can find me online, Saddest Night Out, one word, on Twitter and Instagram, or you can email me personally, saddestnightout at gmail.com. And do feel free to contribute to the cause. I do have a Patreon, patreon.com forward slash saddestnightout. Yeah, it was a busy day, and I am recording this knowing I might be a bit late to the open mic I have later today, but I wouldn't change anything. Well, I wouldn't have mind seeing the strokes, but I'm very grateful once again to everyone that I spoke to. And thank you to Kiana and Alana for inviting me to join them at Pride Festival as well. I hope you all have a great weekend, and I will see you on the next episode. Take care.